Well, as Mark mentioned, we are coming to the end of one of the strangest, most refreshing, often confusing books of the Bible, and that is the book of Ecclesiastes. Throughout the book, as a reminder, Solomon has been giving us a realistic picture of life under the sun. He's talked about everything from work to friendship, from money to justice, from being rich to living poor. His aim has been to give us a picture of life as it is, not life as it ought to be, not life as it one day will be, but life as it is. If Romans is the equivalent of a theologian lecturing on the deep truths of God, and if the book of Psalms is that of a songwriter writing wondrous melodies to the Lord, the book of Ecclesiastes is the equivalent of an old friend sitting you down for coffee telling you everything he's learned. And after talking to you on and on 11 chapters to be exact, he stops at the end, he looks you in the eye and he says, now, I've told you a lot of things. All of them are important. But as we end our time together, there are two things I want you to remember. That is exactly what's happening in the last chapter of Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Solomon summarizes his entire sermon, everything he's been telling us over the entire book of Ecclesiastes by telling us two things he wants us to remember. Here they are, number one, He wants to remind us of what will end. Secondly, he wants to remind us of what matters most, of what will end and what matters most. He wants us to know what one day will come to an end and on the other side of the coin, what matters more than anything. So if you haven't already, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, invite you to open your Bible and let's look at the first truth Solomon wants us to remember, what will end. Let's begin in looking in verse one. He says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Solomon begins by telling his readers to remember. Now, in the Hebrew, this is translated elsewhere to mean to make known or to profess or to proclaim. In other words, Solomon wants to make something really clear here, really clear. Well, what is it that he wants to make clear? Look back at the text. He says, remember... Here it is, also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. What's happening here? In other words, Solomon is saying to his original readers and and to us today that in the midst of the craziness of life, don't forget to live what life you have left in light of the reality that there is a God who made you on purpose, for a purpose, or else, at the end of your life, your life won't be filled with joy and pleasure, but pain and regret. That's his point. And Solomon says, it's better to do that when you're young. Why? Because there are three things about your life that will one day come to an end. Number one, one day, your health will come to an end. Look at verse two. Now. Solomon's gonna say some really strange things here, and if you've ever read Ecclesiastes chapter 12, I'm sure you've walked away thinking, what in the world was that guy smoking when he wrote this? Because this makes no sense to me. Solomon is using poetry. Now, why would he use poetry? Because if you're like me, we hear the same old sayings, and they just kind of breeze over our heads. Things like, you're not gonna be young forever. When you hear that, you're like, 
okay, thank you. Um, let me not talk to you again for a very long time and you move on with your life. Solomon wants us to stop in our tracks to know you won't be young forever. So he says things like, your youth is like a beautiful mansion that people drive by, take pictures of because it's beautiful. But one day, you will be like a foreclosed home that has broken windows that nobody wants to buy and it's gonna get bulldozed. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot more compelling than you will be young forever. So that's what Solomon's gonna do here. So look with me at verse two. He says, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. Solomon is using the sun and moon and light and darkness as a metaphor for health. He says that when you're young, your health shines like the morning sun. It's just, you're radiant. And it's like the bright stars at night in the sky, he says. But eventually, your health will fail you and you won't recover. In other words, Solomon says, when you're young, your health is like a sky without storms. And periodically, a storm will roll in, but after a couple days, the storm's gone and the sun's back. But Solomon says there's coming a day when the storms of illness, disease, and physical suffering will roll into your life, and guess what? They're not gonna leave. That's his point. Commentator Derek Kidner captures this well when he writes, quote, in one's early years and the greater part of life, troubles and illnesses are chiefly setbacks, not disasters. One expects the sky to eventually clear, but in the closing chapters of life, there will be no improvement. The clouds will always gather again, and time will no longer heal, but kill. And what will this failing health produce? Look what he writes in verse three. It says, in the days when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed, verse four, and the doors on the street are shut. Okay, what is he talking about here? Solomon is using several images to capture the brutal realities of failing health. He says, one day the hands you used to keep your house beautiful will begin to shake and tremble. And those arms you used to stare at in the gym and post Instagram selfies of for all to admire and see, he says, yeah, one day they're gonna be bent, which is this Old Testament metaphor to mean that what used to be a sign of strength is now a sign of weakness. And that's just the beginning. Solomon says, one day your grinders will cease. Guys, can we bring back that language instead of teeth? I would just love that. Son, wash your grinders, okay? <laughs> Solomon says, one day your grinders will cease, windows will be dim, which we're like, what does that even mean? And doors will be shut. In other words, there is coming a day when your teeth or your grinders will rot. No matter how much you floss, no matter what toothpaste you use, no matter how many times you go to the dentist, it's just true. They're gonna fail you. He says, one day your windows, which is, once again, an allusion to meaning eyesight, which helps you see out into the world, your windows, your eyes will get worse, and your doors, which is a metaphor for the ears, will start closing. What does that mean? You won't be able to hear as well. Your hearing will begin to fail you. Solomon's point is that one day, all of the simple functions that we take for granted, y'all, every day, all of the simple functions of life, your strength, your teeth, your eyes, your ears, will one day stop working like they used to. 
They will. And to make matters worse, Solomon says, as you get older, you enter into this weird paradox of life where verse four, the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. So he's saying on one hand, as you get older, here's the paradox. On one hand, the sound of the grinding is low and all the daughters of song are brought low, meaning you can't hear very well. So you gotta turn the radio up just a little bit more as you get older. Um, That grinding of the teeth at night that used to wake you, I mean, not anymore. You can't hear as well. So that's true. But on the other side, look what he says. When you go to bed at night, one rises at the sound of a bird. What? Meaning, even the smallest of sounds, like a bird chirping, can wake you up. That's the great paradox of getting older. You can't hear, but everything's waking you up in the middle of the night. And Solomon says, as your health declines, get this, your anxiety heightens. Look at verse five. He says, they are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. What he's getting at is that as you get older, what used to thrill you, like roller coasters, heights, driving to Aldi, they now scare you to death. (laughs) They do. You're like, um, I better not drive to the grocery store because who knows what could happen. You just, you got this anxiety that begins to build in your body and now you're scared to the death to the point that Solomon says you actually imagine terrors. That you imagine the terrible things that would happen to you if you did this or that. The older you get, Solomon says, the more the worst case scenario becomes the default setting of your outlook on life. Why? Because if you're old enough, you've lived long enough to see disaster. And what you know is what you didn't know when you were young is that is so easy to stumble into disaster, isn't it? And as a result, you're just, you're just fearful. You've lived long enough to see disaster and you, it, you know it's not hard to imagine yourself stumbling into it. That's Solomon's point. So three things about your life that will one day come to an end. First, your health. Secondly, your youth. Look at verse five. He says, the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home. Solomon says one day that beautiful hair of yours that you love will one day turn white like the flower of an almond tree. And as you get older, you'll look less like a grasshopper springing around through life and more like, Solomon says, look at it, a grasshopper who drags itself along. (laughs) And if you're older, you know exactly what he's talking about. There was a New York Times article I read just this past week, absolutely hilarious. This woman was describing just what it's like aging, and it was really insightful. She has this line, she says, quote, inside every old person is a young person asking what in the world happened to me. (laughs) It's true. I mean, many of us know this by experience. In fact, if you're over the age of 40, I wanna take a few minutes here and just give you some time to think with me all the benefits you once had of being young. Now, I'm throwing myself in this category because I'm one of the rare individuals who peaked physically at the age of 13 and just started devolving (laughs) after that. Um, If you're in high school and you're taking sports real seriously, working out a lot, uh, friend, one day you're gonna look like this. You are. 
For the rest of you, if you're not 40, all the kids, teens, 20-something, 30-something, um, this is what you have to look forward to. This is what you have to look forward to. Okay, here it is. Um, here's one. When you're young, if you wake up in the middle of the night and need to go to the bathroom, you have two options. Number one, go to the bathroom. Two, hold it. <laughs> not bad. Um, now, over the age of 40, if you wake up in the middle of the night, you still have two options. Number one, go to the bathroom. Two, wet yourself. You used to tell your bladder what to do. Now your bladder's in charge, y'all. How about this one? When you're young, you never have to stretch before working out. You're good. You can throw your shoes on, run a marathon, absolutely no problem. Now, after the age of 40, stretching is not only a prerequisite for working out, it is working out. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've told my wife, I'm like, Oh, gosh, that was such a hard workout. She's like, what did you do? I stretched. I stretched. It's a workout over the age of 40. How about this one? When you're young, you have the uncanny ability to eat whatever you want, however much you want, whenever you want, without what? Gaining weight. Not even gaining a pound. In fact, when you're young, you end up losing weight the more McDoubles you eat. It's unbelievable. Now, after the age of 40, you can't even spell the word cheeseburger without your waistline just expanding. <laughs> or how about this one? When you're young, I mean, your, your mind it just rarely misfires. Like, you just kind of recall everything. Um, any information you take in, it just kind of sticks like a steel trap in your brain. It's amazing. But now, after the age of 40, you are lucky if you can remember what you did yesterday. Like, if you can remember over the age of 40, what you did yesterday, you're a two percenter. You really are. I literally had this happen to me um, maybe like three weeks ago. I was calling the electricity company to get our electric bill adjusted. And I gave my account number and stuff. Well, they need to confirm that I'm actually the guy who owns the house I'm calling about. So he asked a simple question. He said, okay, sir, if you could just give me your birth date uh, so I can confirm that you are Brad Merchant. And I'm sitting on the phone in silence and I thought, oh God, I, I don't remember my birthday. So, you know, he's like, sir? And I'm like, so I did, I think what any good Christian would do, I hung up. I just I hung up. Could not take the shame of that moment. Clarissa's like, did you get that thing figured out? I'm like, don't ask, okay? Don't ask. Listen, all of these are just Funny examples of what will one day end. Not just our health, not just our youth, but thirdly, Solomon says, you know what's gonna end one day? Your life. Look at the end of verse five. It's this odd phrase. He says, in the mourners go about the streets. Solomon says, the older you get, the more you see death. Death of family, of friends, and loved ones. And the more death you see, Solomon says, the more mourners you see, until you start to think there's mourners everywhere because death is everywhere. And soon, those mourners will be at your funeral. Look at verse six. It says, before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern, 
He's using illustrations of things that are both valuable and useful. The silver cord, the golden bowl, both valuable things, but then also useful things like a pitcher or a wheel. And Solomon says your life, as valuable and as useful as it is, will one day end up like everything else in the world, broken and gone. And eventually, we'll all go to the same place. Verse seven. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it, which as Solomon sits back and reflects on all of these things, he says once again, verse eight, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Solomon wants us to desperately know first what will end. Our health our youth, and eventually our lives. But now he wants us to know, secondly, what matters most. In verse nine, something interesting happens. The writer appears to change from being Solomon to now what some theologians call a commentator or another writer who comes in and now evaluates Solomon's entire sermon. So evidently, this guy has been listening or reading this sermon And now he wants to give some commentary on it. So look what he says in verse nine. He writes, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. Verse 10, the preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. And what are these words meant to do? Verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads. And like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. What does this all mean? Theologian Philip Ryken explains when he writes the following. Quote, think of Ecclesiastes as God's cattle prod. The preacher's words push us not to expect lasting satisfaction in money or pleasure, but only in the goodness of God. They steer us away from foolish rage and mocking laughter. They spur us on to patience, contentment, humility, and joy. When we forget about God, the preacher comes along and prods us to remember our creator. And the moment we begin to think that we will soon live forever, he comes alongside, pokes us in the ribs, and whispers, soon you will die. The book of Ecclesiastes is meant to remind us what the world tends to forget, which is this, life is short. It really is, shorter than we imagine. We aren't as important as we like to think. And last of all, we need God's help to live life well. That's the message of Ecclesiastes, which is why Solomon then comes back and warns us in verse 12. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Every human being who has ever lived has faced the temptation of trying to find the kind of wisdom in this world we can only ever find in God. There is a lot of wisdom in the world. There really is. And as Christians, we should be thankful for the wisdom that God gives us and that he gives to people, listen, who love him and people who don't. We should be thankful for all of that wisdom. But what the writer of Ecclesiastes is talking about is that if you try to get from Dr. Phil's book what you can only get from God's book, 
you will end your life frustrated, weary, and wanting. Because only the Bible tells us how to live a life well. In other words, there's something that Jesus can offer you that Jordan Peterson cannot. A life that is marked by faith in the God who came down in flesh to live among us, to live the life that we couldn't, to die the death that we deserve so that when we place our faith in him, all of our sins are forgiven, all of them. And we have a relationship with the God of the universe who created us, who loves us, who cares for us, and listens, who guides us. Even, even when we foolishly turn away from him. He still guides us and loves us in all that we do. This, Solomon says, is wisdom from God. And you can only get it from the Bible. So the writer says, you can furnish the home of your life with the wisdom of man. You can do that. But only let the foundation of the home of your life be the wisdom of God. That's his point. Why? Why? That's the question. Okay, why? That sounds great. But why? Because what matters most above everything else is verse 13. The end of the matter. It's another way of saying the sermon's closed. Here's the spark notes version of everything I've said. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. The summary of Solomon's entire sermon, the entire book of Ecclesiastes comes down to one sentence. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. You know, Solomon got invited to give a commencement address at Harvard University. Here's what it sounded like. He would say first, fear God, worship him, treat him as the Lord of life at large and the Lord of your life specifically. Take him into account in every decision you make, in every plan you make, and in everything you do. Remember him. Love him and fear him, and do this by secondly keeping his commandments. Obey God and believe that everything he's commanded you to do and not to do is for your good. And do this not because you have to, but because, listen, you were made to. Because thirdly, this is the whole duty of man. A literal, a literal translation of the Hebrew would say something like this, for this is the whole of humanity. In other words, you and every other person to ever live was made to walk with God. You were. And at the end of the day, what matters more than how much money you make, how many degrees you earn, how many businesses you own, what kind of college you get into, how many kids you raise, how many places you visit, or how many things you accomplish, what matters most of all is that you walk with this God. That's Solomon's point. And one day, listen, here's the scary reality, y'all. One day, every single one of us, rather you profess to believe in this God or not, this is true of all of us, one day you will be judged on if you did that or not. Verse 14, this is the last line in the book of Ecclesiastes. He wants us to know this. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing whether good or evil. What does this mean? It means all the things we've done in this life, good or bad, public or private, known or hidden, all of them will be laid before God one day. And not one will be secret to him. It's why later in the New Testament, the author of 
Hebrews writes this in Hebrews chapter four, verse 13, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Have you thought about that this week? Christian or not, that one day you are going to give an account for everything you've done. Author David Gibson expounds on this when he writes the following. Ecclesiastes says that a day is coming when some people will discover that they are not ready for the most important event in the world. And it won't be a dream. Their life has been one long exercise in avoiding reality and ignoring what is coming towards them, death and judgment. Friend, as we come to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, we find that Solomon's entire sermon is 12 chapters long but it's essentially been only asking us two questions. Question number one, are you walking with God? The message of the New Testament is you can either try to find your happiness in this life and lose it all in the end, or you can find your happiness in God and gain it all in the end. C.S. Lewis put it this way, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself. Why? Because it is not there. There is no such apart from him. Ecclesiastes tells us that the happiness, satisfaction, and contentment we long for under the sun can only be found in the God beyond it. And one day God will lay your life before him, all the things you did do and all the things you didn't do. And he will judge your life. And listen, you will either stand before him with fear, showing him all the trivial things you spent your life on, and just begging him to have mercy on you. Or you'll stand before him at the end of your life with joy because you know your faith isn't in your ability or your accomplishments, but in Jesus' life and death on your behalf. Because one day, listen, you will stand, if you are a Christian, you will stand before God. You will not point to something that you built your life on earth. You will point to the lamb who was slain and say on his behalf and only on what he has done for me can I enter in to be with you forever. And that will be enough. While Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes again and again, there is no gain under the sun, fast forward through redemption history and we find the apostle Paul saying something remarkable. He says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is what? Gain. Why? Because if you're following Jesus, when you die, you might lose your things, but you'll gain your treasure. Because through death, you get to see, be with, and enjoy Jesus, listen, forever. So, unbelieving friend, if you're here today, can I just ask you plainly, are you ready to walk with God today? Junior high, high school student, elementary student, do not bank on your parents' faith to get you to heaven. You will be utterly disappointed at the end of your life. Are you, you, where you are, in your seat, you alone, ready to walk with God for the first time ever? Or will you continue to grab for in this life what you can never hold? Will you walk with God today? This is the message of the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon comes to us and says, number one, are you walking with God? But then secondly, for the rest of us, are you living life to the fullest? Are you? 
Ecclesiastes does not tell us life is short, endure it. Ecclesiastes tells us again and again, life is short, enjoy it. Ecclesiastes 2.24, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in all his toil. Ecclesiastes 5.18, behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. Ecclesiastes 3.12, I perceive that there is nothing better for man than to be joyful and to do good as long as he lives. Ecclesiastes 8.15, and I commend joy, for man has no good thing under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. This makes no sense to the world today, by the way. No sense. Because many people live today agreeing with the prayer Bart Simpson once prayed before dinner. Dear God, we paid for all this stuff ourselves, so thanks for nothing. But, listen, to be a Christian, everything's a miracle. Wow, to be a Christian is to believe that life and all the things life entails are meant to be enjoyed. Listen, not just because they're merely enjoyable. Some things aren't that enjoyable. But because they are from the generous hand of a gracious God with your name on it. And he gave that to you to enjoy, not to gripe about, not to complain, not to grumble, just to Enjoy. And when we start to view everything in life as from God, we will start to live life to the fullest. Theologian David Gibson puts it this way Perhaps if we were to think of doing and receiving everything for and from God, it would quite radically change the way we live. It might make us bolder in what we say, more concerned for God's truth than one another's approval. He says, it might make us more kind, more gentle, realizing that God has commanded us to forgive one another as he has forgiven us. It will make us more joyful, less grumpy, and more generous. It will make us, in short, he says, more alive. Brothers and sisters, our lives, I wanna remind you right now, our lives are exploding, overflowing. Listen, we are all drowning in the grace of God. There are so many things God has given us this week, opportunities to just enjoy life. So what if, instead of complaining about your job this week, you find reasons to enjoy it? Guys, all of us complain about our job from time to time, don't we? But what if we go into this week and just thought, I'm just gonna assume there's gonna be things that drive me nuts. And instead, I'm just gonna enjoy some of the things I take for granted in my job. Think about how that would change our perspective, instead of counting the ways your kids drive you nuts. Oh, the ways. What if you just enjoy the unique personalities God has given them and you just enjoy them? What if instead of grumbling about what God has kept from you, you start enjoying the life God has given you? And what if instead of trying to change the world, listen, what if you just start enjoying it? In the words of J.C. Ryle, let us rise from our beds every morning with a deep conviction that we are debtors and that every day we have more mercies than we deserve. Friends, that is the message of Ecclesiastes. Walk with God. 
You were made to walk with him, love him and enjoy him because one day you'll be judged on if you did that or not. But then if you are walking with God, the question he asks us is this, are you living life to the fullest? Are you just enduring life? Are you actually enjoying it? That's the message of Ecclesiastes. And what a message it's been, amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these words from Ecclesiastes. They have been so helpful and inspiring, convicting, encouraging. And I just pray that you would help us, Lord, to walk with you all the days of our life. And that you would help us to live life to the fullest, even this week. So would you help us to change our perspective, to fix our eyes upon you as we sang earlier and to enjoy all of the grace and mercy you've given to us. We pray this together now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.